Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we get started? Father God, you are great. God, and you just keep getting better. Father, you caused us to be born again. You've given us new life, new hearts, new affections. God, you've called us out of darkness and into your light. You've made a way for us to live in your presence. God, and we know that your presence is here with us this morning because you've given us your spirit. And where there are people who have been born again, God is there. So I just ask, Father, that you would minister to us this morning through your word, by your spirit, in your people. Help us this morning, God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Soma. And I uh, just wanted to start off with a little bit of context uh, in case there are folks here that are new to our community, new even this morning. Soma Northwest, this specific body of believers, is part of a family of neighborhood churches. Uh, we've got a congregation downtown that's meeting this morning and doing a very similar thing. We've got a congregation in Midtown that's meeting together and doing a very similar thing. And I wanted to bring that up uh, just to set the context to say that uh, we're, we're a family of churches doing this thing together, and uh, it's not always easy to do life together as, as Christians. And this year in particular, uh, I'm sure many of you can attest to this, has not been an especially easy year. Um, individual congregations in our, in our family of churches have had struggles, um, have had trials. Individuals in our congregation here have had trials uh, over the course of this past year. And so I want to spend some time this morning really equipping us to face the trials that are to come. With, uh, this particular congregation is only a couple years old, so we're still in kind of the terrible twos, terrible threes as a church plant. And uh, there are more trials to come, surely. So I wanted to just spend some time thinking about what it means to persevere through trials as brothers and sisters. Uh, also want to uh, kind of put a bow on our year-long series through Exodus that Bobby wrapped up for us last week and transition us forward into our Advent series on global missions. So you'll hear some of that theme uh, woven throughout. But the main idea this morning is that God has made a way for us to live in his presence. And so stay in his presence. All right, so last week I mentioned Bobby, uh, Pastor Bobby closed out our year-long series through the book of Exodus, and we see in chapter 40 of, of Exodus, God has delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt, he's delivered them through the Red Sea, and he's now dwelling with his people. Um, that is the glory of Exodus, that God is now living amongst his people. They've, they uh, have his presence with them in a cloud by day and in the fire by night. God is with his people. Where the cloud goes, God's people go. And when it stays, they stay. Now, that would, have, that would have made for a pretty nice ending to the story, right? God choosing a people that are in bondage and slavery. He delivers them through a series of incredible miracles. He brings them to the Red Sea and then delivers them again through the Red Sea. And then he's with his people, dwelling with his people. And they lived happily ever after. But as Bobby mentioned last week, that's not the end of the story. That, that's really the beginning of their journey to the promised land. And it's not an easy road ahead for them. So the same is true for us that uh, 
getting saved is not the end of the story, that being born again is not the end of the story for us, but it's the beginning of a journey of faith to the promised land where we'll get to be in God's presence uh, purely and forever. But for now, we've got a road in front of us, and so I want to just equip us this morning with, uh, with some help for that journey. So if you follow through the rest of the Old Testament, God has uh, delivered a people out of slavery in Egypt. Um, he's now dwelling amongst them. If you follow Israel throughout the rest of the Old Testament, you'll see that uh, time and time again, they're, they're faced with trials and they fail and they fail and they turn their back on the God that's delivered them and they fail. And one of the things I want to do this morning as we um, look through this passage, we're actually going to be in 1 Peter um, one of the things I hope to do is to give us some images that we can press into our minds and press into our hearts to cling to uh, when we face our own trials. So the first image I want to spend some time on is uh, really just getting an image of what it means to turn our backs on God. So I just had a couple examples um, that I hope can help. So the first is when God's delivering the Israelites uh, and they get to the Red Sea, right, they're faced with a, um, the, the sea in front of them, this immovable body of water in front of them, and Pharaoh's armies uh, in hot pursuit behind. And God is delivering them, and what do they do? They say, oh, it would, would have been better for us to just die in Egypt than to be stuck out here in the wilderness. And then God actually delivers them uh, from Pharaoh, brings them through the Red Sea. They, sing, they respond with praise to God, and then immediately again, what's the first thing they say? Where do you guys want to eat? And there's nothing to eat. And they say, man, at least in Egypt we had food back there. Do you remember the golden calf incident? God has delivered his people. Uh, he's dwelling amongst them. He's covenanted with them to be their God. And Moses goes up on the mountain in the presence of God to get God's law that will govern this new covenant relationship that he has with them. Literally the first law that God gives is I am the God. I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods beside me. And Moses comes down on the, off the mountain to his people, making a calf out of gold and worshiping it, right? So they've, they've turned their backs on God. They've uh, experienced this sense where God, God was with us. Now he's up on the mountain, and we don't know what's going on. So they make their own God. And then we've not uh, gotten there in Exodus, but later on in the journey of uh, God's people, they get to the doorstep of the promised land. And this is uh, the land that God had promised them centuries ago that they've been waiting for for centuries and going through uh, everything they went through in Egypt to get there. And they send spies out to spy out the land. And the spies come back and they say, man, this land is amazing. It's fruitful. It's, it's big. It's a good land full of milk and honey. But there's also a people there. And they look pretty tough. And God's people say, yeah, I'm not going in there. Those people are huge. So I want you to just, uh, maybe it's one of these stories or maybe it's uh, an experience in your own life where you've, uh, you've faced a trial and you've not pressed into God. Just really burn that into your, into your mind and into your heart. Last week, if you were with us last week, Bobby gave us a, uh, a better example of how to, how to respond when we're facing trial. So Bobby talked about um, him and Jody, uh, Bobby's wife, uh, sensing or seeing God moving in a, a new direction for them, that God's leading them into a new season of life, and that it's going to be a particularly difficult season, a uh, season of caring for aging parents, and they're actively pursuing adoption. 
and just said, look, guys, I see Jody and I see God moving. And God, we believe that God has made a way for us to be in his presence. And so we want to stay in his presence. So I see him moving in this direction that's going to be tough. There are going to be trials. It's going to be difficult. But we're going anyway because we want to be with God in his presence. So how do we prepare uh, to take a bold stance like that to say, I want to be with God, and no matter where he leads, I'm following. So for that, I wanted to uh, spend some time in First Peter this morning. You can find that on page 588 in the blue Bibles next to you. And I'll read just a portion of it to get us started. This is beginning in chapter 1. I'm going to read through verse 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter is writing to a group of Christians. This would have been shortly after Jesus died and uh, resurrected and went back to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. And he's writing to Christians that are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire and facing persecution for their faith. And so he's writing to encourage them to endure as they face these trials. And Peter opens his letter to these Christians by exhorting them to remember the joy of salvation, right? He opens with, Blessed be the God and, our, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. So this is another uh, set of images I want to give us this morning. Uh, what it means to be born again, or what is this new birth that Peter's talking about? I've got a couple of examples, first from Exodus, and then uh, I've got a couple others, but... Um, Honestly, I'm not great at the storytelling aspect of this, but I want you guys to really feel, see this image, so try and imagine with me and get this image uh, in your mind and in your heart. So what does it mean to be born again? Peter's talking about uh, uh, he's caused us to be born again. What does that look like? Well, with, with Israel, God's people in Israel that we saw in Exodus, their deliverance through the Red Sea is like a new birth, right? In birth, you're coming through water and coming out into a new world and a new life. And so we see that with, with Israel. Again, they uh, are delivered out of slavery in Egypt. They're facing the, this immovable body of water in front of them and Pharaoh's armies behind. 
there's nothing they can do. I want you to, uh, the image that I want you to capture there is a sense of desperation and the sense of uh, dependence on God, just utter dependence on God. I can't, I can't move this body of water that's in front of me. I can't do anything about the armies of Pharaoh behind me. They're utterly dependent on God. Do you feel the sense of desperation that they had? There's nothing that they can do apart from God moving on their behalf. And then God does. He parts the waters and his people walk through on dry land to deliverance and they turn around and they see the waters crashing down on the armies of Pharaoh. And imagine what that might have been like to stand on the shores and looking back, the water's still churning. And to realize that there's, I had no hope in that situation and God brought us through. God acted on our behalf. And their response, they, they respond, if you remember Exodus 15, the song of Moses, right? They, was, they respond with praise. In John chapter 16, Jesus actually uh, describes physical birth. So what, what, is, what is this new birth? Well, it's like a physical birth. Um, you don't necessarily have to turn there, but it's uh, page 526 if you want to. These are Jesus' words from John 16, starting in verse 21. This is helpful because this is Jesus uh, preparing his disciples to be without him when he goes back to be, be with the Father. I'm actually going to start in verse 16 for the context. Jesus says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted, what they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I mean by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will not, I'm sorry, your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take that joy from you. I've mentioned this before, but my wife is a doula, and, uh, which means she helps people have babies. And she's done this, I don't know, some number of times. And we were driving back from Louisville yesterday, and I was just rehearsing some of these notes with her uh, as you ought to do when you're preparing to do something like this. And uh, Candace just affirmed, yeah, this is, I mean, this is real exper experientially. This is real in the research that women going through uh, the trial of birth and labor, um, it can be anguishing and they hit this moment of desperation as they're going through what's called transition. Uh, they're just desperate. There's, they're, they'll, uh, they're looking for any way out of the pain that they're going through. And then the baby's born and what, what happens? What's that? They're happy. That's right. That's right. They, they hold the baby, and they, they, they just cling on to that baby for the joy that's there. They forget about the pain that they just went through, right? That's what, the, that's what the new birth is like that Peter's talking about. Then lastly, this new birth that Peter's referencing is like resurrection. Um, we've talked before about Jesus raising Lazarus and the joy that, uh, that his friends felt when, when Jesus called him forth out of the grave. Uh, I wanted to use the example this morning because we're looking at First Peter. Peter actually resurrected a woman named uh, Tabitha. So she was uh, 
a woman of God. Uh, this is found in Acts. Um, she was a woman of God. She was full of good work. She used to make clothes for people that needed clothes. was one of the things that they remembered uh, about Tabitha. And Tabitha fell sick and died. And her friends knew that Peter was near. And so they called to Peter and said, Peter, you got to come. Uh, Tabitha's sick. And so Peter comes and he kneels down beside Tabitha and appeals to God um, to raise her. And again, just like um, with the Israelites, just sense the desperation or the, the hopelessness uh, that her friends felt when, when Tabitha's laying there dead. There's, there's nothing they can do to restore her. There's nothing they can do to bring her back. Uh, and they're weeping in the room. And Peter sends them out of the room and he raises Tabitha from the dead. And can you get that image of what they must have felt when they saw Tabitha come out of that room and the way they must have embraced her like a, like a mom embraces a newborn baby? So Peter, writing to Christians to encourage them uh, as they're facing trials and facing persecution, starts by appealing uh, to them to remember the joy of their salvation. There's nothing that we can do to bring about this new birth, to bring about this new life, and God has done it. Okay, so Peter says, According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Remember the joy of your salvation. Rejoice. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So again, just like with Israel, the new birth or uh, salvation is not the end of the story. We don't get saved and then immediately get to experience the fullness of joy in the presence of God forever, right? The new birth or getting born again is the beginning of a long, hard journey of faith. And with this new birth comes new affections. God actually gives us a new heart. So I wanted to just kind of uh, list out some of the ways you see these new affections playing out in 1 Peter um, you can make note of these or whatever, but uh, as we go throughout the rest of the message, uh, listen for the ways in which these new affections drive our, our choosing to stay in God's presence. So throughout First Peter, we see humility instead of pride. We see fear of God instead of fear of man. Love and reverence for Christ, meaning that we feel the weight of living in the presence of God. When we get born again, we get a, a sense of freedom from shame and human dominion and anxiety. We get a disposition of gentleness and tenderness rather than harshness or coarseness. We get faith in God, inexpressible joy, hope of God's promised grace, and brotherly affection for other Christians instead of envy, disdain, or ambivalence. And it's out of these new affections that we can then choose to stay in the presence of God no matter the cost. It's not, it's not our obedience uh, that drive the affections. It's the affections, the new affections that we, we get when we get born again that drive our, our new obedience. And Peter describes this as arming yourself with the mind of Christ. So next I just wanted to kind of uh, jump through First Peter and hit on a couple of things, a couple of tools that he gives us to endure uh, as we face the trials that are sure to come. So the first thing Peter calls us to, well, uh, apart from just remembering the joy of our salvation, right, that's the motivator. Um, that is the appeal to the new affections that we get when we get saved. 
um, the first thing he tells us to do is repent, to turn away from our old way of living and press into these new affections that we've been given. We've been given. You see that in chapter 1, verses uh, 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So the main idea is that God has made a way for us to live life in his presence, right? We want to stay in his presence no matter the cost of that. And we can't live in God's presence and live in our former darkness, right? You can't be in the dark and in the light at the same time. So turn from your former way, from your former passions, and stay in the light. The second point that Peter makes is endure when we face trials to endure. So first, get out of the darkness and into the light, and then stay in the light. Uh, as I mentioned earlier with the people of God, uh, just at every turn throughout the Old Testament, you see them turning back and turning away from God uh, when they face trials, when times get hard. But we don't, we don't stay in God's presence by running from trials, running back to the darkness out of the light. But we stay in his presence by walking with him through the trials. So to live, to live as Christians in this world... Um, requires that we lay down all kinds of advantages. It may cost us relationships to stay with God. It may cost us comforts. And it's so easy to retreat when times get hard, right? Um, if you know the, the hymn, Come Thou Fount, there's a line where it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Do you guys feel that sense of how easy it is to turn from God when things get tough. Okay, the next point Peter makes is in uh, chapter 3, verse 13. And he says, don't fear. When you see these trials coming, this is uh, what we saw in Bobby's response last week. Don't fear when you see these trials coming. So this is chapter 3, verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason of the hope that you have. Okay, so in... In the new birth, when God causes us to be born again and he gives us new affections, the climax of these affections are being in the presence of God and the fellowship of God, right? Knowing God. And what do we have to fear when we see the trials on the horizon? What do we have to fear if we can't lose the very object of our new affections, right? We can't lose being in the presence of God. There are lots and lots of things that uh, God may call us to lose or to lay down, but his fellowship is not one of them. So we don't have to fear the trials that are coming. Um, I've got an image for this as well. This is uh, Paul from Philippians. If you want to turn to Philippians chapter 3, that's on 571. The letter of Philippians, this is Paul writing uh, to the Christians in Philippi. He's actually writing from prison. So he's been in prison because of his faith. He's 
followed, followed the cloud as God has moved, right? He's uh, chosen to stay in the presence of God no matter the cost, and it's landed him in prison. And these are Paul's words to the Christians in Philippi from prison. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So can you get that image in your mind of what, what Paul must have been thinking sitting in, in, in a prison cell writing this letter to Christians in Philippi? I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord and Savior. There's a, a missionary back in the 50s, I think. Uh, he was a missionary to native peoples in Ecuador, and it was a people group that was known to be hostile to outsiders. His name's Jim Elliott. I'm sure many of you have heard of Jim Elliott. Um, he had the same mind that Paul had, that he counts everything as lost for the surpassing knowledge of, or, yeah, for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. And it led him uh, to the jungles of Ecuador. And Jim, before he... Uh, before he went out deeper into the jungle to make contact with this, this remote tribe, he wrote in his journal um, these words, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So it's, it's not a foolish thing to give what you can't keep to gain what you can't lose. And Jim, Jim embraced this as he pressed in to take the good news of knowing Jesus Christ to this remote people. Uh, and, and Jim, ended up, it ended up costing him his life. He and his fellow missionaries were, were speared to death there in the mission field. Okay, the next point that Peter makes is we can actually rejoice in our suffering. So this is from 1 Peter 4, uh, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So the main idea, again, is that God has made a way for us to be in his presence, and we want to stay in his presence no matter the cost. And that's not, it's not something like the Israelites that, that is uh, a future thing. We, we are in God's presence now. We've got God's presence with us. And so we can rejoice in our suffering. It's not just grin and bear it and make it through to the end uh, and then get your inheritance. We've got God's presence now, and so we can rejoice when we face suffering. We can rejoice because uh, enduring suffering makes us like Jesus. We, be, we can identify with Jesus in our suffering. Through enduring suffering, uh, we, we get assurance of our salvation. Um, it's As we endure through trials... Doing the good that God has called us to do, it, it's, it's a sign that God is doing his saving work in us. And as we endure through trials, God is also shoring up or strengthening our faith. So we can rejoice when we face trials. This is James, rejoice when you face trials of various kinds, right? And the last point I wanted to make from Peter is uh, chapter 4, verse 10. 
As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So Peter, writing to Christians that are facing uh, persecution and trials, he tells them to look out for each other, right? He said, uh, rejoice when you face trials of various kinds. And then he turns around and said, God, God has given us varied grace. So for every trial, God has given us a grace that's ministered through his people to meet our needs in those times. Um, going back to Bobby's example of him standing up here in front of us and telling us, hey, I see God on the move, and I see he's leading us into a new season that's going to be difficult. What are, what are some graces that Bobby and Jody might need as they press into this new season? You know, they may need to lean on our faith as they get in and it gets hard caring for aging parents, uh, pressing into this uh, process of adoption. They may need reminders that God is with them and that God is for them in the work that they're doing. They may need a reminder that God adopted them. So God has made a way for us to be in his presence, and we want to stay in his presence no matter the cost. And one way that we do that is to look out for one another. So if maybe, maybe you're not currently going through a trial or experiencing trial, or maybe it's been a relatively peaceful year for you. Um, there are plenty of people in this room that would say, I could use some help. <laughs> I could use some grace. And God's given you grace for their trial. Okay, so to transition to conclusion, I just wanted to look back to Moses. Um, we've not gotten to this part of Moses' journey, but I wanted to actually look at Moses' death. This is in Deuteronomy 34. It's page 102 in the Blue Bibles. So if you remember back to the series on Exodus, God calls Moses at the burning bush, right? And from that point on, Moses' life is completely different from what it was before. We can even see Moses resisting God's call at first, but then he, he presses in, uh, choosing instead to stay in the presence of God and stay in obedience to God so that he can know God, leading God's people out of slavery in Egypt, trial after trial after trial. He opposes the Pharaoh of, of Egypt. He faces the uh, opposition of God's own people who he's leading out of slavery. And then in Deuteronomy 34, we see a strange thing happen to Moses at his death. So God, God's promise to Moses was, I'm going to lead my people out of slavery, lead them into the promised land that I promised generations ago, right? So in Deuteronomy 34, they're on the doorstep of the promised land that God has done what he said he was going to do. This is Deuteronomy 34. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan and Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as, far as Zor. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you, to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, 
according to the word of the Lord. And he, meaning God, he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite of Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since, since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants into all his land and for the mighty power and the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So Moses gets called at the burning bush and then he endures trial after trial after trial to stay with God as God moves uh, delivering his people out of Egypt. And he gets right up to the promised land and then does not inherit it. He dies there just outside the promised land. And the image here that, that we, I want you to hold on to in Moses is that this is a man who learned that his greatest joy was to be found in the presence of God himself. Do you see the intimacy in this passage that Moses knew God face to face? God himself buries moment, Moses in this really tender moment. Moses had received his inheritance, and it was the very presence of God. There's another really amazing passage in Mark. Uh, if you're familiar with the Transfiguration, Peter, who's writing the letter that we looked at this morning, uh, actually, uh, when Jesus was on earth, revealed his glory to Peter. Um, do you remember who was with Jesus during the Transfiguration? Moses, right? Yeah, yeah, Elijah was there too. But Moses was with God, right? Where where he was, he wasn't in the promised land. He was with God. Um, so God has made a way for us to live in His presence, and we are going to face difficult times that pull us back into our uh, back into darkness and pull us away from God, the presence of God. New birth, getting saved is not the end of our journey. It's the beginning of a really difficult road. We've got each other. We've got the very grace of God ministered through each other to help each other to hold fast and to stay in God's presence. So God's made a way for us to live in his presence, and it cost him greatly, right? Every week we share this meal of communion together to remember that God has made a way for us to live in his presence and that it cost God his son. Jesus' body broken for us, his blood shed for us, so that we could be born again to a living hope in the presence of God himself. Hebrews 12 starts out this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Peter says, if you want to hang on in trials when the trials come, arm yourselves with the mind of Christ, right? The mind of Christ sent him to the cross for the joy that was set before him. And he went there so that we may be brought into the presence of God. So we're going to uh, 
take this meal together like we do every week, as I mentioned. And I would just invite, if, if you have experienced this new birth in Christ, you've been born again to a new and living hope, and you've committed with us to following God no matter the cost, we just invite you to uh, partake of the bread and the cup this morning. You can break off a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and remember that God has made a way for us to be in his presence and that it was Jesus' body broken on the cross and Jesus' blood shed on the cross that brought us into the presence of God. Let me pray for us. God, we praise you that you have caused us to be born again to a living hope. God, that you've made a way for us to live life in your presence. That you've made a way for us out of the darkness and into your light. That you've given us your word, God, that we can see that New birth is just the beginning of a really difficult road of faith, but that you are with us, that you've given us your very grace for the various trials that we face ministered through your people. God, you've not left us to face these trials alone, and we thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus, that you endured the cross on our behalf, died in our place for our sins so that we could be brought into the presence of God. And I pray, God, now for myself and for the people in this room, for Soma, that we would endure the trials that are ahead. We would not fear them because we know that no matter what you might call us to lay down, no matter what it might cost us, we've got our inheritance in the presence of God. What a gift. What a grace. In Jesus' name.